This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, what is your reaction normally when you're told by a doctor about having an illness that will require treatment? Depending on the severity, it could run the gamut of emotions. David Fagenbaum is an associate professor of medicine here at the University of Pennsylvania. He knows that scenario firsthand in dealing with Castleman's disease and doing so in the wake of his mother's death. David has authored a book about his experience titled Chasing My Cure, A Doctor's Race to Turn Hope into Action, a memoir. And David joins us now to talk about the book as well as the work that he and the other people at the University of Pennsylvania are doing to try and find a cure for coronavirus. David, great to talk to you again. Hope you're doing well. Dan, thanks for having me on. I hope you're doing well also. Just hanging in here as as much as we can. Let's start with the book because I I think it's interesting. And and when we had had you on before, uh, you had talked a little bit about it. But give us a sense of, of how this all played out because at the time, uh, when when you were diagnosed, you were in college, you were a college football player, and then all of a sudden you get this uh, this diagnosis. That's right. I went from being totally healthy to having my last rites read to me when the doctors didn't think I would survive because all of my organs were shutting down. I was experiencing what's called a cytokine storm, and my immune system was attacking my vital organs. I was eventually diagnosed with this awful condition and received many, many rounds of chemotherapy to get into remission. But unfortunately, I went on to have relapse after relapse after relapse until I realized I needed to to turn my hope into action and try to try to find a treatment that could save my life. And so how did you go about that? I mean, this is truly a case, as the book says, is, is chasing your own cure. Yeah, I, I was a third-year medical student at Penn at the time, and um, I, I knew it was unlikely that I would actually be able to make any progress against my disease, but there were no more drugs in development, and I knew that there was no chance that I would survive if I didn't get to work. And so I built an international network to work together to accelerate research for the disease, and I also started conducting research myself. And I eventually found um, in my data a pattern that suggested that a drug that was developed 30 years ago and had never been used before, Castleman disease, might be able to help me. And so I started testing it on myself as the first patient to ever receive this drug, Serolimus. And um, now it's been over six years that I've been in remission. And, And so that's part of what you're trying to do right now in looking at a potential cure for the coronavirus is looking at some of these these medicines that that have helped you with Castleman's disease. That's exactly right. I'm alive today because of a drug that no one ever thought could be helpful to treat my disease. And Castleman disease is actually quite similar to COVID-19. You've heard COVID-19 described as a cytokine storm disorder, just like how Castleman disease is. Both diseases involve the immune system becoming hyperactivated. So given the fact that I'm literally talking to you today and I'm here because of one of these old drugs that we repurposed to save my life, I felt completely compelled when this pandemic began to try to apply what we have learned from repurposing drugs in Castleman disease to the COVID-19 fight. And so we launched a project called the Corona Project, which is an effort to track all of the data worldwide on every drug that has ever been tried against a COVID-19 patient and also to try to identify new drugs that no one has ever even tried before. And and when I say new drugs, drugs that are approved for something else that we could try in a new way against COVID-19. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of amazing in doing a business radio show every day. You hear about all of the different 
uh, companies that are out there that are trying to, you know, to see if they can find a cure. I guess it's well into the hundreds that we're talking about in terms of different uh, uh, different types of drugs that are being thought about as whether or not they can they can help deal with the coronavirus. You're exactly right. There are, as you said, well into the hundreds that are on the table that um, companies are thinking about, many of them trying. And actually, in our database, which is this Corona Project, anyone can access it online, we found almost 150 different drugs have already been given to COVID-19 patients. So in the news, we're hearing about a handful of drugs that have been tried, some of them more promising, some of them less promising. But the reality is, is actually almost 150 drugs have already been tried. And the good news is, is that some of them seem to be working to control the cytokine storm. Some of them don't seem to be working as well. The key is moving these forward to clinical trials. And, and what's also exciting from, from our end is that a number of the drugs that look really promising were actually initially developed for Castleman disease. Um, and so it's, it's exciting to think that some of the hard work that our lab and our team have been a part of for the last eight to 10 years um, can have an impact uh, for patients with COVID-19. You mentioned the collection of data and, 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 you know, we are obviously in this big data universe right now, but in terms of trying to have a better understanding of coronavirus, the collection of all of that data is probably just as important as finding the actual cure so you know which path to go on. You're exactly right. I, I remember I found myself back in, in early March thinking about how drug repurposing would be the the, the most likely and, and fastest route to helping to to curb the deadliness of this disease in the short term. Of course, a vaccine is critical, but that will take some time. And I remember hoping and, 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 and really wishing that some group out there would try to collate all this data to try to pull it together. And, um, and, and something that I've tried to dedicate my life to is to, is to turn hope into action. That's My book is all about this concept of if you hope for it, then you should do something about it. And so I gave myself about 30 seconds of hoping that someone would do it. And I, I just started reaching out to my team and I said, we've got to do this. And um, it's been a tremendous amount of effort that's gone into it. We have over 31 people, most of which uh, a few of them are working in my lab. The rest are volunteers who have gone through over 5,000 papers and pulled out data on over 13,000 patients with COVID-19 to, to find the 150 that are being used. And just as you said, this effort to pull all the data into one place is so critical. An analogy I like to think about is that it's, if you don't have a database like this, it's like going to war and not tracking what weapons your front lines are using and which ones worked and which ones didn't. You would yeah. never do that. You have to track what's working and what's not. And so we're trying our best to do that. And, and again, are, are you hearing from, from other health organizations inquiring about some of this data at, at this point, or, or is it in the process of, of getting to that point right now, David? Yeah, so we're getting inquiries from other health organizations. One thing that we are committed to from the from the very beginning is to make this open source. So actually, anyone can look into the database at any time. It's, it's, it's freely and publicly available. So people can access it, whether or not they ask to access it or not. They can just go right into it. And you can find more information in, in two places. One is at cdcn.org slash corona. The other place is at chasingmycure.com. Both places describe the work that we're doing and how this fits into the larger fight to chase a cure for COVID-19. How do you think then potentially this changes the mindset about the development of new drugs when you're talking about, 
in this case, as we said, over 150 drugs that, that kind of exist out there that are being looked at as a possible way to cure the coronavirus. I'm really hopeful that with how awful COVID-19 has been, that some silver linings come from this. Nothing will make this positive. It is bad in every way. But if we can find some silver linings, just like you're alluding to, potentially of drug repurposing, there are over 1,500 drugs that are approved by the FDA, and there are 7,000 diseases that do not have a single FDA-approved drug. How many of the 7,000 diseases could potentially benefit from one of the 1,500 drugs that already exist? Like I said earlier, I'm alive today because of one of those. And so I'm really hopeful that the effort that's gone into drug repurposing for COVID-19 can also apply to other diseases because the urgency that we all feel as a society is actually the exact same urgency that the millions of people with these rare and devastating diseases feel all the time. They are, they are always is an urgency to find a drug tomorrow or, or yesterday. Um, and so I'm really hopeful that just as you said, that there will be, there will be some, some real silver linings that come from that. Well, I guess it's not only just a repurposing potentially of these drugs to, to find that, you know, potentially another use for them. But I, I would think it's also a little bit of a repurposing of thought process by the doctors, by the other medical individual in the individuals in the medical field uh, of thinking along that line of thinking, you know, let's look to repurpose instead of trying to, you know, develop something totally new. You're exactly right. And I think the reason it hasn't happened is because the incentives have never been there. Um, unfortunately, once a drug gets approved, um, there are, there are a few incentives that, that push a company to then study that drug in many more indications, usually a few more, but not many more. And so many more potential diseases that could benefit from that drug are just never studied by the company. And unfortunately, there are not really incentives for researchers like me to always study existing drugs, but there are more incentives to develop new drugs. And so I, just as you said, I'm really hoping that this will um, help to change the thought process. I think that being on Warden Business Radio, I think you'd also agree that we can't just change the thought process. We have to change the incentives. There's a bill that I was advocating for back in um, 2016, 2017 called the Open Act that would actually incentivize companies to take existing drugs and then try them in new diseases. And, and if they are approved in new ways, then you get extra exclusivity of the product. I think those are the kinds of things that we need to think about. And we need to start getting really creative because, like I said, Things are really urgent right now for the whole world, um, but things always feel this urgent for all of us in the rare disease space. Well, and and having the Wharton background that you do, and, and it, you know, we've we've heard this story, you know, from various doctors over time. But when at times you think about the medical side of things from a business perspective, it gives you a little bit of a different insight on on what needs to occur. You're right. When I was a, a business school student, I, I actually chose to go to Warden because I thought that it could help me to cure my disease. I was in the midst of this this battle, and um, uh, and I realized that so many of the problems and the barriers in healthcare were actually organizational problems. And so uh, I did my MBA, and during my MBA, I, I really rethought and reformulated a new approach to rare disease research. And it was so funny because as I talked to my, my warden classmates and professors, there were so many really simple concepts from other industries that I kept saying, well, why don't we do this in healthcare? It's like, well, it's never been done that way. We can't do it that way. And then, and then we started doing it and, and it just really changed things around. There's some really simple business principles that have really helped us 
to, to significantly accelerate the pace of progress. And this is something that I'm really passionate about sharing with the world. That's, that's why I wrote Chasing My Cure is to share this blueprint for right. how we went from, you know, no, no drugs, no, no progress to, to where we've been able to get, through, get to. And really, it's thanks to this business-inspired approach. David, as always, great to talk with you. Glad to hear that you're doing safe and look forward to uh, seeing you back on the Penn campus at some point down the road. Me as well. Thank you so much. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you, Dr. David Fagenbaum, Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, also a Wharton School grad. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.